Welcome to the Bethel Church Podcast. Each week you'll be able to check in for our messages from Sunday and other material. We hope that our messages encourage you in your walk in daily faith with Jesus. Make sure to check out our website, BethelStratford.org. I'm, uh, I'm originally from Hamilton, so don't hold that against me. I was born and raised in Hamilton. I got saved in my late teens out of a life of crime and all kinds of messed up stuff. Got saved and uh, the Lord brought me into the family, brought me into the house, established me in a great church and uh, just, you know, began to go after it and then uh, seemed like there was a call to ministry on my life and so we just continued to serve God. We were 25 years in one church there. And uh, last six years or so, I was traveling full-time in ministry um, throughout Canada, parts of the U.S., Southeast Asia, a little bit of Europe, and uh, doing uh, worship seminars, doing prayer seminars, doing prophetic seminars, kind of teaching the church about the prophetic and how to move into that. And, and, uh, and then, you know, we just felt a transition in our heart to to believe God uh, for a transition into pastoring, although in all my life I said I would never be a pastor. I said, you know, you have to be crazy to be a pastor. That's, that's uh, people for, and, uh, and most of the people who knew me said, yeah, no, no problem there, John. You'll never be a pastor. So, you know, I just thought, hey, I'm traveling full time. I love this. But there's something began to grow in my heart for a vision to work with a team and to build a team and to develop a church. And so I really thought that I would be in southern, you know, south, southern Ontario, maybe somewhere just outside of Hamilton, so I wouldn't uh, have a church right on the doorstep of the church that I'd been part of for 25 years, and I thought maybe Burlington, my wife is from there, I thought maybe Oakville, maybe Stony Creek, maybe Dundas, you know, somewhere. And um, as we were, you know, really getting on the edge of the transition, I was traveling still full-time, and I, I just, I felt the grace just completely lift off me for traveling, and I felt like I was going in most places just spit, trying to spit cotton, you know, just, and uh, nobody seemed to notice the difference, but I did, and, uh, and then I got a call from a church that I had ministered in many times uh, up in Harrison, and um, they had gone through a revival, a backdoor revival. Some of you might know what that means, and, um, and it was just, it was, it was really on hard, fell on hard times, and we were down to about 30 people, and the 30 people that were still there were glazed over. They hadn't had a visitor in two years. And, and financially, it was a mess. Uh, and, um, you know, I kind of knew that they were going through this. And the pastor called me and said, look, I've resigned to the elders, but nobody else knows. And, and uh, I said, well, what are you going to do? And he said, well, I really feel God's spoken to me about who the next pastor should be. And I said, awesome, great. I said, well, then you're set. And he said, yeah, I just need to kind of let that person know. And I said, well, go ahead, do it, man. You know, I think it's a great idea. He said, well, that's why I'm calling you. I said, well, why are you calling me? And he goes, because you're the one that God told me is going to come and pastor this church. And I said, well, there's just a problem with that, and that is that God has not told me that I'm going to pastor that church. So I said, look, uh, you know, I'm trying to let him down easy. And, you know. and he said, well, will you pray about it? You know, he prayed, he pulled the prayer card, you know. And... Uh, I said, uh, yeah, yeah, I'll, 
I'll pray about that. So I hung up and said, Lord, I don't want to go there, and you know you don't want to send me there. Amen, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. So I went upstairs. My office was in my basement. I went to, upstairs to my wife. and I said, you know who called me? You know this church in Harrison? You know those guys? Yeah. What, the, what do they want? Oh, they say God spoke to them that we're going to go and pastor them. And my wife oh, said, not a chance in this world. And I said, I know. Don't worry about it. Never going to happen. Well, I've been there 19 years. <clears throat> and uh, what can I say? <laughs> you know, sometimes um, God leads us to places where we don't want to go. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, it never really changed. I mean, we, we, God kind of wrestled us down to the ground on that one. And when I got there, we finally realized that God... God had literally shut every, every door possible. I even tried to go back to work, and, and that didn't work. Like, you know, I mean, going back to my secular job that I had several years before, and, and, and everything, I just did not want to go there. And uh, I didn't feel called to a little town of 3,000 people. And I was thinking, you know, Sky Dome Christian Center, <laughs> Pastor John Finocchio. Wow, that's got a good ring to it. But... Um, Lord had other plans, and you know, even little places like uh, Harrison, Ontario, need a good church. And so um, we've been amazed at what God has done, and our church is full of young people and young families. Uh, we've just knocked out walls to put to enlarge our children's area. We're look, we're looking at building now. We're getting quotes to just build a new uh, auditorium because our two services are pretty well packed out, and 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 we've had uh, somewhere between forty and fifty new people just show up since the summer, and we're kind of going, where are these people coming from? I mean, this is Harrison. Yeah. Like, do, we have that? do we have that many people? You know, um, but, you know, I'll tell you, God is faithful. You know, God, God is faithful, and God is good, and like we were singing, God is good. And, you know, when we stick with the program and just do what God calls us to do, and we're obedient, and we persevere through, uh, God just does good things. And so we're really excited about what God is doing, and... Uh, I, under, I hear that you're having my good buddy, Matt Tapley, uh, here in January. Matt and I are really tight. We're good friends. I'm going to be preaching there next Sunday morning. And uh, actually, I'm there this week doing their internship as well. So um, we, you know, we go back and forth across the bridge to each other. He's ministered in our church many times. We've ministered there many times. And so I know that uh, if you've never, if he's never been here before, he probably has, but He's going to be a great blessing to you. He's just got a great word. He's a preaching machine. You know, Matt is just a preaching machine. He doesn't need notes or anything. He just opens his mouth and I'm not like that. So tonight, I want to share some thoughts with you that I just felt would be good for a service like this tonight. And I'm kind of talking about the supernatural church. How many believe that, first of all, the church is supernatural, but we need to believe God for the supernatural in the church. Amen. In chapter uh, 5 of John, let me tell you first a little bit more about myself because I like to talk about my family. Uh, I've been married. I'm going to celebrate my 40th wedding anniversary in March. I know I don't look that old. got married when I was 10. And, uh, and uh, uh, we have three grown kids. My oldest son, Nathan, is, uh, travels full-time all over, all over uh, preaching and ministering and he uh, is one of the co-founders of Hillsong New York City, and he's been there for eight years, and uh, he's, just, he's just finished his last week there. He's leaving. 
Um, his wife is Australian, so they're going to Australia for four months, and then their plan is to move to L.A. and get involved with a number of other things uh, with Hillsong, like Hillsong TV and stuff like that. And he's just a high-end, creative, brilliant kind of guy, very different from me, and, um, and uh, just, just got a great word, great ministry. And then my other son, Gabriel, uh, is a worship leader and a teacher, staff kind of teacher, uh, college teacher at uh, a, 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 song, a, a church called Life Church in Allentown, Pennsylvania, very large church, five campuses, and uh, he's been there for several years, and he's single. I, we are taking applications, uh, so any, any, you know, women you might know who want to marry someone like that, and, um, and then my daughter, Tiffany, you know, God saves the best of the last, what can I say? Um, my daughter Tiffany is still with us, and her, her husband has been our worship media sound director for several years, and uh, he's just a great guy, just loves God with all his heart, highly talented, gifted, and Tiffany is a real prophetess of the Lord. She usually travels with me. Uh, I, I asked her to come with me tonight, but she's, she's got two kids now, and it's a little more difficult for her to get away, but she loves to prophesy, and she's got a great word. And so uh, I love to just, you know, kind of go with her. She's my security blanket. But um, so, yeah, so it's, you know, life is good when God does things like that with your kids. Amen? And uh, I'm so excited about the next generation. I hope you are too. There's another generation of people coming behind us who have passion and fire and zeal and want to serve God. So we're in John chapter 5. I want to start at verse 2. It says, Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is uh, called in the Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he'd already been in that condition a long time. And he said to him, do you want to be made well? And the sick man answered him and said, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming down, another steps down before me. Imagine that, a guy 38 years, and he's, you know, he's trying to move towards and someone cuts him off, you know, jumps in front of him into the pool. People. And um, so uh, Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. So Jesus comes to the sheep gate. There was actually 10 gates in Jerusalem, and each of them had a name according to their function and their usefulness. And uh, at this particular gate, there was actually two pools. And uh, so these pools were there, and it was true that, you know, people would gather around and, you know, kind of... Uh, you know, myth or reality, whatever, apparently uh, there was an angel to come down and stir the water. At least this is what they believed. And it was, you know, there's sick people gathered all over the place. So it was kind of like, you know, they're waiting to win the lottery, you know, like they're waiting that maybe they would be the one who would get into the water first and somehow receive a touch from God. And um, I don't know. Bethesda, the word Bethesda means outpouring. And so all these people are waiting there, 
at the pool of Bethesda, the, the pool of outpouring, and they're waiting for God to do something. And you know, sometimes in the body of Christ, there's people that are just kind of waiting for an outpouring. They're waiting for the next big thing that God is going to do. And uh, I don't have a lot of confidence in that kind of theology because I kind of believe that, you know, where the Spirit leads, miracles follow. And I believe that God is always doing something. Thank you for that underwhelming response. (laughs) God is always doing something. He is not distant. He is not away from us. He's not hiding out somewhere. God is always working. He's always doing something. He's not passive and disinterested, but he's active. He's working. He's moving. He's speaking. You know, one of my good friends uh, who was a mentor to me used to say, you know, God is always speaking. It's just our hearing that's intermittent. How many know that's true? If we can tap in, if we can listen, if we'll still our hearts and get before the Lord, we'll find that God is communicating. He's, he loves to speak. He loves to say things. He loves to work. He loves to move. But he's looking for a people who he can work through. And so we are his, his functioning body on the earth, Right? Second thing is that God, God's a covenant-keeping God. So that, that Bethesda pool theory, you know, sometimes I just think it's kind of, of a myth, like a Hebrew myth. I think that God is a covenant-keeping God, and God keeps covenant. We are in covenant with God. How many understand that? The moment that you received Jesus Christ, you came into a blood covenant, and that covenant was ratified by the blood of Jesus Christ, And God is a covenant keeper. His covenant is constant. He's not capricious. He doesn't say, well, you know, I think I'll do something today. I didn't really feel like doing anything yesterday, but, you know, I think I'm going to go down to the prayer room and answer a few prayers today. I mean, no, that's not God. God is constant. He is consistent. He is a covenant-keeping God. And you and I need to have the confidence that we're in covenant with Father. And he is a covenant-keeping father. And he's always working. He's always keeping covenant. He's reliable. He's there. And he's always wanting to do something. And the covenant that we have, the new covenant, is the final word from heaven. We're not waiting for something else. It's the final word. Jesus Christ. In, In the times past, he spoke to the fathers by the prophets. But in these last times, he has spoken to us by his Son whom he has appointed the heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. So so we got the final word from heaven. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and forever. And you know, it's not the Jesus of yesterday that people have a problem with. I mean, you know, look back, hey, it was a historical figure, Jesus. Yeah, it's like talking about Napoleon or someone, you know, just some guy back there. Yeah, I I believe there was a Jesus. And it's not the Jesus of, of, of forever that people can't get a, their, their head around. But what we need to wrestle with and what the church wrestles with and what people wrestle with is Jesus Christ today. Jesus Christ yesterday, today. It's the today Jesus that we really have to get a hold of. How many understand that we can have a historical Jesus? And that's no threat to anybody. We can have a Jesus that's going to show up one day. That's no threat to anybody. But it's the Jesus today that, that gets up in people's grill, that 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 inspires us to move out and touch people and inspires us to declare who he is today. That's, that's, that's reality. 
We need to have a today Jesus. And tomorrow, we need to have a today Jesus. And next week and next month, we need to have a current, up-to-date Jesus that we understand is working just like he did before and like he will in the future, but he is today. Amen? Our faith needs to be a today faith. And uh, he makes, you know, God makes promises and then he fulfills them. God is a, is a God who loves to promise things and then fulfill them. And sometimes the promises he makes, I don't know about you, I've had a lot of promises. I'm still working through a lot of promises. And I've had prophetic promises and things that I felt God speak to my heart and other things come through the prophetic word to me. And, you know, I'm, I've always marveled that God doesn't just say, like, you know, one day I'm going to do something nice for you. Amen. But it always seems like a superlative. Do you know what I mean? A prophecy that comes, it sounds like God's always speaking something that is almost hard to believe, almost unbelievable, almost on, verging on the spectacular. How many know what I'm talking about? And the reason this is because God speaks into our future. And then what he does is he takes us and he tries a stretching us into the future so that he frames something out. Like take, for example, Abraham. He says to Abraham, first time he appears to Abraham, Abraham, uh, I'm going to make you a blessing to every family on the planet. You're going to be a, a father of nations. He, this is a guy who couldn't even have kids. And he said, I'm going to make you a father of nations. You're going to be a blessing to the, all the families in the earth. He, you know, why didn't God just say, well, one day, you know, you're going to have a little baby, maybe. You know, have a little faith for that. Take us a step at a time. But God speaks this absolutely mind-boggling promise. And then he takes Abraham. And over 25 years, he begins to stretch him and frame him out into the picture of his prophetic promise. And so when God speaks, he's speaking into our uh, destiny. He's speaking out into the potential of what we can become if we will allow him to work in us and stretch us and frame us out into it. And I have a lot of promises that I say, I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know how God's going to fulfill this word. But, you know, I just keep saying, Lord, just stretch me. Amen? Amen. Stretch me. Now... Some people have a, a concept of the Holy Spirit that it's kind of like, well, you know, we're in the last days and it's been 2,000 years of Christianity and, you know, God's done a lot of stuff and, and He's really poured out the Spirit a lot and heaven's cupboards are probably getting kind of bare by now, but maybe there's something left. You know, maybe. Not sure, but maybe. Well, I, I'm, it's probably no one here who thinks like that, but prophet Joel said in the last days, God would pour out his spirit upon all flesh. And from what I understand, we have been in the last days since the day of Pentecost. And we are still in the last days, and we'll be in the last days until Jesus returns. So this is the period of the last days. You know, some people say, Pastor, do you think we're in the last days? I say, well, I'll tell you something. You're definitely in your last days. So, you know, if you're going to do something, you better do it now. You know, you're in your last days, so don't worry about, don't worry about all the other stuff while we're in our last days. Listen, I'm in my last days. This is it. If I'm going to be used of God and I'm going to make a difference on planet Earth, we've we, we got to get down to it. So 
we need to understand that the Holy Spirit, if anything, Holy Spirit activity is going to increase in the last days. And we're going to see more and more and more. Prophet Isaiah said, darkness will cover the earth and gross darkness the people. But the glory of the Lord will rise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. Hello? So if, there's, if you see increasing darkness out there, don't, don't hit the panic button. Just say, Lord, just fulfill your word and let there be even greater glory on your people and on your church. Amen? In Galatians chapter 3, verse 3, Paul says to the church at Galatia, he asks them a, a question, and he says, are you so foolish that having begun in the Spirit, that somehow now you're going to be perfected in the flesh? In other words, you know, having started with the Spirit uh, and realizing the power of the Spirit, most of us, you wouldn't be here tonight if somewhere along the line you haven't had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And, and the Holy Spirit began everything that we enjoy, everything that is in you, everything that's been worked in you, it, it is in you because of the work of the Spirit. Am I right about that? And so now we need to understand that the Spirit wants to continue to work in us, actually wants to enlarge everything that He's doing in us. He wants to increase our capacity and our volume for everything that He wants to do. He wants to continue to fill us, empower us, use us, and make us fruitful for the kingdom. And so uh, going back to John for a minute, uh, a verse that... I'm sure you're very familiar with in John chapter 5, verse 19. So Jesus answered and said to the most surely, I say to you, that the Son can do nothing of himself. If you think about that, it's quite a remarkable statement. That Jesus, the Son of God, he said, I can't really do anything of myself. Um, there's some verses in Scripture where Jesus walked into, I think it was Capernaum, and there was such an incredible atmosphere of unbelief. Do you know there was two things that Jesus marveled at? If you, if you read the Gospels, there's two things that Jesus marveled at. Two things that Jesus marveled at. Two things that Jesus marveled at. Jesus marveled at people, at some, one person's faith. You know, the guy was, the guy was not a Jew. He was, he was, you know, a Gentile. And Jesus marveled. It was the, the, the Roman centurion. He marveled at his faith. Just marveled. He's blown away. Just like, Wow, this guy's got faith. This is, I haven't found faith like this in Israel. And then he marveled. The second thing he marveled at was, there, was the unbelief. He marveled at that people could be so unbelieving. So he walks into Capernaum, and, and they're so unbelieving. It's one of the most pathetic, not prophetic, but pathetic verses in Scripture. Jesus is walking out of Capernaum, and it says he healed. A few, he could do no mighty works, but he healed a few sick you know, just kind of walking out of town, somebody sneezed, and he said, be healed. Yeah. And um, so Jesus limited himself to what the Father was showing him. And he said, whatever he sees the Father do, whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. The Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. He will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. So there's a few things we need to learn from this, and I want to just kind of make a few points, and then we'll just see where we're going to go tonight. Number one, Jesus looked to the Father. Jesus looked to the Father. And he remained dependent and connected to the Father in order to accomplish his mission. He, uh, he, was, he related to the Father in the same manner. And I want, to, 
I want to suggest to you that Jesus related to the Father in the same manner that we are to relate to the Holy Spirit. This is the age, we live in the age of the Holy Spirit. So we're not going to see a physical Jesus walking around and, and you know, doing miracles and leading us to people. But we are, we now have received the Holy Spirit. He's in us and he, he does want to lead us. He does want to guide us. He does want to help us. And he wants to make us fruitful in the kingdom. And so we're to, just like Jesus related to the Father, we relate to the Holy Spirit. And so uh, we need to cultivate that sensitivity because, again, I believe that where the Spirit leads, miracles follow. This was a, a ministry paradigm of Jesus. And in order to get Jesus-centered results, we have to have a Jesus-patterned ministry. Um, Jesus didn't just go about doing anything he wanted to do. Have you ever heard people say, well, you know, if Jesus was here, he would just empty the hospitals. Anybody ever heard anybody say that? You know, if Jesus was here, everybody would get healed. Well, I got news for you. That's not what Jesus did. There was a guy in Acts chapter 3 who was at the gate beautiful of the temple. And the Bible says that he'd been there for like, you know, he was over 40 years old. And, and uh, Jesus must have walked by him, I don't know how many times. He never got healed. Jesus was led by his father. You think of when Jesus walked into Jericho, how many thousands of people, you know, it was, they were along the parade route, you know. Jesus, they knew Jesus was coming to town and they got all their lawn chairs out had their coolers. They're waiting. You know, Jesus is coming to town. Hey, the Jesus parade. Jesus Christ is coming to town. <laughs> you better not, you know. And, um, and they were lined along the route. And, and all the religious people, all the people who, who were really religious, really, you know, they were the good people. They were righteous. They were, they were people who were devoted. They were lined up to see Jesus thinking, and they had, they, the scripture tells us they had actually prepared a reception for Jesus. And Jesus walks into town with his entourage. He walks by all those good people who were faithful people, faithful in the synagogue. They, they were good people. They were righteous people. He walks by them all. He doesn't pray for them. He doesn't touch anybody. He doesn't pray for a sick person. He walks into the center of town, and he stops there's a sycamore tree, he looks up, and there's this guy by the name of Zacchaeus. Remember this story? This guy was a creep. He was an embezzler. He was an uh, extortioner. He was the chief. If you read the scripture, he was the chief tax collector. So, like, he was, he was like the godfather in the mob. You know, he had all these little soldiers out there collecting money, and they all bring it to him, and he would, you know, just take his cut, and they give the rest to the Romans. And a Jewish tax collector was like, you know, he was such a turncoat. He was such a, people despised him. He was the lowest of the low that he was collecting our taxes to give to the Romans. So this guy was passionately hated. Jesus walks into town, says, hey, you, come on down. We're having lunch. Now stop and think about all the people he walked by, all the people who wanted to dine with him. And all the people who were, in their mind, deserving. Grace is like water. 
it flows to the lowest place. And Zacchaeus was the lowest of the low. And the grace of God that day, the father said, when you go into Jericho tomorrow, there's one guy, one guy, and he's the guy I want you to go see. I want you to have lunch with him. And you're going to turn him around. I'm going to visit them, but I'm going to visit them in a way that they don't expect. And, you know, he was, he was only called to one man. When uh, Jesus passed through Samaria, I imagine that there was all kinds of people uh, near that well where the Samaritan woman was, and probably a lot of people getting their water. But Jesus was called to one woman, one woman. And through that one woman, and she was not uh, qualified either by standards, by religious standards. She was, you know, Jesus, I think Jesus kind of played with her a little bit and said, hey, you know, um, why don't you go get your husband? And she says, well, I don't, I don't have a husband. And he goes, that's right, you don't. You've had five. Wow. Talk about reading somebody's mail. And uh, he says, the, the guy you're with now is not your husband. And she goes back to town. Her report is, I met a prophet who told me everything I ever done. Well, it was about just about everything she ever done. She had five husbands. You know, about everything she ever did in life was have five husbands. But Jesus, again, reached down into that one woman's life. And as a result of touching her, the Scripture says that all of Samaria came out to hear him. And, and he spent several days there ministering to the entire town. One linchpin, one person. So the, the Spirit, if we're really in touch with the Spirit, the Spirit isn't leading us to empty hospitals. He may be leading us to one individual, one person. And one of my prayers as a pastor is, Lord, show me the miracle in the house. Every Sunday, what, what do you want to do today? Who's the person you're speaking to? Who's the person whose life needs to get absolutely wrecked and transformed here this morning? And tonight would be the same thing. You know, uh, maybe there's one person that God absolutely wants to touch and visit and move and work through. In Acts chapter 8, verse 29, the Spirit uh, told Philip to, to get on the Ethiopian eunuch's chariot. And I, once again, he's on the road. There's probably all kinds of people going both ways on the road. But Philip was called to one guy. One guy. Just one person the Spirit led him to. And uh, so on and on we could go. You know, in Acts 16, Paul and his team are forbidden to go and preach in Asia. They're forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach. And instead, he leads them to this one Macedonian jailer and his family in Europe. God opens Europe and leads them into Europe. You know... Sometimes we, we just follow a formula. We say, well, God said, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. So we just kind of go about but with using a formula. Well, we just need to go wherever you know, we can, wherever a door opens, whatever. And um, in this case, Paul w- was just kind of being obedient to go. But formula by formula, we can attempt things that we're not led to do. But by relationship, we're specifically led to things to do, that we're called to. So where formula fails, relationship prevails. If you're in relationship with the Holy Spirit, 
He can lead you to specific things. But if you're just following a formula, uh, it's just like kind of shooting a shotgun, hopefully, that you're going you're gonna to hit something, throwing something up against a wall and hoping that it's all going to stick. There's a relationship involved with the Holy Spirit. How many know what I'm talking about tonight? The second thing is that, you know, the Lord speaks most clearly to people who follow the most closely. I've discovered that if you have a hunger in your heart, you know, the, the psalmist David said, as the, as the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you. There's a hunger, there's something inside of you that is hungry for God, that wants to go after God, that wants to go after the things of the kingdom. I have found that the reason why relatively so few people in the body of Christ move regularly in spiritual gifts is because they're not hungry enough to continue to pursue them. Paul said, you can all prophesy. Well, why don't we? Why why wasn't every church just filled with all kinds of prophetic people, people moving words of knowledge, prophecy and healing, gifts of the Spirit? Why why isn't that happening more? Because few people will kind of go after it, and it, it requires that. Paul said, earnestly desire the best gifts. Pursue love, but earnestly desire the best gifts. So there's an earnestness. And so the Lord speaks most clearly to people who follow the most closely. And then, um, lastly, tonight, your habit becomes your habitation. Your habit becomes your habitation. Scripture in, uh, in Luke 5, 16, ref- talking about Jesus, he said, so he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Often. He didn't, it wasn't just a chance thing once in a while, but he often withdrew and he went into the wilderness and he prayed. He spent time with Father. And as he spent time with Father, uh, Father would download, you know, I, this is what I believe, is that Father would show him, okay, you're, you're going here tomorrow, or you're going to go there, you're going to go here, and this is what you're going to encounter. And there's that person there, and, and when you go into that town, this is what's going to happen. You need to minister to look for this person and that person, and, uh, and you're going to be led. And tomorrow, you know, you're going you're gonna, to you're speak to 5,000, and and you're going to multiply loaves, and you're going to do some miracles. And, and you know, he just saw what the Father was telling him, and he, he just obeyed. He just went forward. And, um, but he spent time. He withdrew off into the wilderness. Now, I'm not saying that you need to spend all your days in prayer and lock yourself in a closet somewhere. I don't do that. But uh, I just believe that we need to be in communion. We need to be in fellowship. We need to learn how to practice the presence of God. We need to learn how to keep our spirit open and and just ask the Holy Spirit to help us in everything we're doing. Um, you know, and whether, if you're at work, uh, if you're, you know, out in the marketplace, whatever you're doing, just uh, ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Um, one thing my wife does uh, all the time, and sometimes it actually irritates me because there's days when I just want to be shut off. You know what I mean? My days are Mondays. And, and so tomorrow, I just want to shut off. I, I, don't, I don't allow anybody, unless it's an emergency, to call me. I, don't, I do not want to hear that about anything. I just want to shut off. And um, so my wife and I sometimes will go someplace, and she will be in, we're in the car, and she's praying, and we're praying, and, 
and she'll say, uh, and Lord, just make us a blessing to someone today. And I'm going, don't hear that, Lord. But she, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I've never seen anyone like my wife. She has got such an incredible gift of evangelism. She will walk into a, like she'll say, well, I'm, I'm just going in this uh, store here to, you know, look at some curtains or something. And I know, like, after 30 minutes, she's in there witnessing somebody. I know it. And so, sure enough, I walk in, and she's going, you know, I see her going at it. And, and you know, it, she has the most, she's like a spiritual Geiger counter, you know, that just leads her to people. And, and she just begins to share Christ with people and talk about the Lord. And, 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 she, and then she, if she goes out somewhere for a day, she comes back, and She's got these, you never know what happened. You never believe what happened to me today. And I said, oh, yeah, I do. I believe exactly what happened to you. You met somebody and started sharing the Lord with them. She goes, yeah, like, you know. And, but she's just, she's just saying, Lord, lead me today. Lead me to someone that I can be a blessing to. Lead me to someone. It could be someone that she wants to bless, like literally in a physical way. She wants to give them something or, you know, uh, a tip, a big, you know, an unreasonably incredible tip. You know, I get that in the restaurant sometimes. You know, I just feel this, this waitress really needs a blessing today. Why don't we give her $50? And I'm going, what? And she's just, she's just wired that way. And, uh, you know, she's got such an uncanny ability to follow what the Spirit of God is putting on her heart and, and run into people. I'll tell you one story, and I'll end with this, but we were... It was, it was a day off, and we were in a mall. It was wintertime. It was snowing out. It was kind of nice, fluffy snow coming down. And, I, you know, I'm kind of zombied out walking, you know, kind of Mondays for me, just I'm in the zone. And, um, and I'm carrying stuff she bought. <laughs> and um, every husband's favorite pastime. And uh, then she wonders why I don't like going to malls. Anyway, um, so she's carrying this stuff. Or I'm carrying this stuff, and, and I'm talking to her. I'm going, yeah, like, so, you know, I think maybe tomorrow we need to call that person and do this, and, and then we'll go to the hospital and visit that person. And I think I got this, all this stuff on my plate this week, and so you're just going to have to be patient with me because I've got a really busy week. And I look, and she's not there. I turn around, and she's, like, back, like, where that wall is. And I've been walking through the parking lot talking to myself, <laughs> and she's back there. And there's a woman, there's a woman who, like, there's a railing that, that came down out of this mall, and there's a woman that I didn't notice her. She had a big fur coat on, and she's got one foot up and her shoes on the ground, and she's holding onto the railing, and she's got this pained look on her face. And my wife spotted her immediately, went over to her, and she's got one hand on her shoulder. And I'm like, I turned around, and I went, oh, no. And so I'm kind of, you know, walking back really kind of slowly, like, you know. And... And then I hear her go, and my husband, who's a pastor, will pray for you. And, like, and I'm now, like, my eyes are like this, and I'm going, like, oh, my gosh. So, and she's looking at me and sees my face, and I'm, like, terrified. And, and she's, you know, trying to pump confidence into this lady. And, uh, you know, anyway, just kind of one of those funny things. We did pray for her. And, and uh, you know, I don't know if God did a miracle or not, but. We're just, just compassion that she moves in is absolutely astounding. And sometimes, you know, just the compassion, 
just the mercy, just the kindness touches people's hearts. You know, kindness connects. Truth convicts. And the Holy Spirit converts. So, you know, when we have opportunities sometimes just to sow a seed by being kind, it's an amazing thing that God, it can connect with somebody's heart. And then when, if we're able to introduce truth and speak something to them, that that's what the Holy Spirit, without the introduction of truth, it's impossible to see conversion. And so when we speak truth and love to people, uh, the Spirit can anoint that. And I, for me, I got saved. I was not looking for Jesus. I was, I was on Sable Beach, where I basically lived every summer as a beach bum and a drug addict. And, and I was just partying hard and doing what I love to do. And someone came and witnessed to me. And I was so intrigued with what they were sharing that I asked them to kind of come back and stay, you know, at this campsite with, with us and, and me. And, and just, you know, and they shared the word for about a day and a half, just inserted the gospel into my heart over and over and over again. And, and what happened was that person left and said, hey, you know, they're from Hamilton. They said, when you get back to Hamilton, come and check out this place and, and you'll meet a lot of sincere Christians. And I was, like I said, I was not looking for Jesus. I, didn't, I, I, I was not interested in religious things. Um, when I stopped going to church when I could run faster than my mother could. And... and um, and never really showed any interest in that. But, but something happened. The Word of God went in. The truth went in. And then the Holy Spirit began to convince me and convict me over a period of three weeks. How many people have you maybe ever witnessed to? And then three weeks later, they show up in church. It's not that often. Usually if something takes, it's going to be that weekend or whatever. Three weeks later, I went searching for these people because I could not get the seed that went into my heart, I could not extract it. I could not get it out. And I was thinking about it day and night and day and night. Finally, I just went down. I got to check these people out. And so, you know, we, we, we minister as we're led by the Spirit of God to people. We might just be the person who, who uh, does something kind to connect with them. Did you know that the average person who becomes a Christian is converted as an average of seven encounters, good encounters, positive encounters with Christians. So you, know, you might be number one. You might be number five. You might be number eight. It's an average of seven. But the bottom line is, is the more people have a positive, life-giving experience, encounter with a true believer, the more likely it is that God's going to be able to reach them and bring them into the kingdom. And I don't know about you, but that's kind of what I'm all about. Thanks for checking out this week's message, Bethel Church Podcast. We hope that it's blessed you and encouraged you, and that you come back and check out next week's message.